everyone. Well, if you've been with us um, over the past few weeks, we know that we've been digging into the book of Daniel. Uh, like it, some of the stories in, in Daniel, like the story of Daniel and the lion's den, um, are really familiar to most people. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff in this book, as, as you will have been finding, which is pretty strange and confusing. Um, and over the past few weeks, we've been focusing on the first part of Daniel. Um, and those early chapters record stories about Daniel and his friends and what their life in exile was like. This week, we are digging into the last part of, of the book, which records a series of dreams and visions that Daniel experienced. And this last part of the book um, of Daniel is what's known as apocalyptic literature. Now that word apocalypse means to uncover or to reveal. And apocalyptic writings uh, record dreams or visions that explore possible futures, and they point towards God's purposes and design. Throughout the book of Daniel, a series of dreams are recorded, and they are full of really, as you will have just heard, full of vivid imagery that sounds pretty strange and maybe even a little bit scary. Um, Daniel chapter 7, which we've just heard from um, and where we're going to focus our attention tonight, um, marks a pivotal point in the book of Daniel where we get the shift from talking about um, the stories of people to actually recording these visions of Daniel. Um, and in, in some, some scholars actually view um, Daniel chapter 7 as one of the most important passages in the Old Testament, um, which is given uh, how strange some of the languages might it might seem a little odd um, and given that often in church is one of those um, books that we uh, one of those parts of the bible that we we kind of avoid talking about because there's all these strange um, beasts and creatures and talking horns and um, it can be a little confusing um, now given the pretty sobering events of the last few days in Aotearoa you could be forgiven for wondering why we would continue with our series tonight. And it's certainly something that um, we, um, as a leadership team in our community, have, have really wrestled with. Um, um, now, for Daniel personally, and for the community that he was a part of, and for many generations after them, this series of visions served as a reminder of God's assurance that God's people would endure no matter how bleak the circumstances in which they found themselves. Uh, they offer hope to a people in crisis and the insurance that a different world is both possible and on its way. So as we gather tonight, um, though we gather in uncertainty and in grief, we also gather in hope. Um, we believe in God's goodness and faithfulness we believe that our God is a God of restoration and healing. With the senseless brutality of acts of terrorism, the ravages of disease uh, might seem unfathomable, but our hope is in the enduring nature of our God, a God of love, of peace, and of justice. So while we've shifted direction slightly tonight, we're still going to stick with Daniel as we do that. Um, but as we begin, I'd just like to pray for us as, as we um, enter into digging into this passage. Let's pray. Father, 
Father God, I thank you that you are a God of love, of peace, and of justice. We pray that as we come to you tonight, um, some of us feeling uh, fearful and uncertain, um, sad, grieving, uh, that you would be a hope, that you would be our peace. Um, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be stirring in us, uh, that we would know your presence with us, that we would know you speaking to us, and that as we open up um, these difficult passages in your word, that you would be uh, our clarity, um, that you would be uh, the revealer um, who opens up um, the truth for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the scripture that we've just heard read, um, as I've said, is the first in a series of dreams and visions which um, Daniel are recorded in this last part of Daniel. Um, and in it we find strange and terrifying beasts, flaming thrones, rivers of fire, and one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds. And at the end of um, his record of the dream, Daniel writes, as for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly terrified me and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter in my mind. Uh, the world that Daniel sees in his visions is like the upside down come to life in Daniel's dreams. And he is understandably terrified and confused by what he sees. Um, unlike the dreams which feature in the early part of the book of Daniel, this one, um, Daniel says that he is perplexed by it and disturbed by it. And initially he keeps it to himself. Now, what might on the first few readings um, seem like it's quite chaotic and confusing does have a pattern. Um, the imagery in this vision is actually really similar to the imagery that we saw in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream that's recounted in Daniel 2. And actually there's an overlap in the timelines here. Um, the um, time that the, these visions that are collected at the end of the book of Daniel actually happen throughout and after the period that we've heard talked about in that first part of Daniel, which goes through story. So this is actually maps over um, that earlier period. Um, so it can seem a bit chaotic and confusing, but it does have a pattern. And there is this, um, this link to this dream that, um, that King Nebuchadnezzar has in, in Daniel 2. Both, both of these dreams feature terrifying beasts that are ruling in destructive and exploitative ways. And each of the beasts depicted in these visions is interpreted, or is intended um, to represent powerful human kingdoms that have gone wrong. And these impressive human kingdoms are eventually humbled and then replaced by the enduring reign of God, which is just and brings peace to the nations. One of the things um, when we when we come across apocalyptic like literature, we can um, get caught up in this idea of trying to um, crack the code as to what the real events were um, and what these visions are pointing what the real things that these visions are pointing to. And we could spend a lot of time unpacking the imagery in detail. Um, we're not going to do that um, tonight for a range of reasons, but mostly because we just feel like the timing is, is really, this is not the season for that. Um, 
so if it feels a bit like I'm making some very broad kind of um, generalizations about the book, we're looking at it in kind of broad strokes, it's because we are and I am. Um, uh, if you are curious about some of those details and you want to explore the imagery and Dan Daniel in more detail, we are going to post some links to some resources um, that you can access via our website and in our weekly email over the coming week. Um, so if that's something that you want to do, we're going to um, give you some resources so that you can do that. Um, so tonight we just kind of kind of look more broadly um, at the at the themes that are coming through here. Um, there are a lot of ideas and and even quite a bit of consensus about the particular kings and empires that that are the subject of Daniel's visions: the King of Syria, the Roman Empire, and other events that might happen in the future. Um, but I think um, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project sums that up really well, um, saying that in a sense, all of the different suggestions about who these beasts are and the different kingdoms that they're talking about are, in a sense, all correct. They're all right. Because part of what is being shown here is that Daniel's painting a picture of an enduring pattern of human behavior that we see played out again and again by humanity. So whilst there was an intention for it to point to some real things, there's also a bigger picture of, of what humanity can be like. Human beings become like beasts when they glorify their own power and redefine right and wrong for their own ends. And this is the pattern that we see repeated both in the stories of scripture and in our own world around us. Cain redefines right and wrong and takes the life of his own brother for personal gain. King David redefines right and wrong, sexually exploiting a woman who is another man's wife and resorts to murder to cover it up. King Herod redefines right and wrong and orders the genocide of Hebrew infants out of fear of a threat to his political position and power. Right now, in our own world, we can see countless examples of human quests for power gone awry. The humanity of a person or a group of people diminished to free others to act in service of themselves. Human beings acting in self-serving ways, exploiting others, exploiting the environment for their own gain. When humans forget who God is, they begin to act like monstrous beasts. And this is a large part of what these visions are trying to communicate. In God's creation, every human being is created as an image bearer, precious and valued. But when we forget this, when we exalt ourselves, and we start exploiting others. But there is, along with this pattern of human behavior um, and this, these these, um, this pattern of abusing power, there is also a promise. The same promise that was spoken from the beginning of creation is renewed. God's people will endure despite oppression, despite exploitation. God will confront the beasts and oppressive kingdoms will be humbled. God's kingdom, God's kingdom and its values will never be destroyed. Uh, now, throughout um, Daniel, and we've heard it in this, this little um, passage, you keep hearing this term, the son of man, and it features in Daniel's visions. Now, this term is a term that Jesus regularly used to describe himself. 
And the term son of man is understood in quite a lot of ways in scripture. And it can just mean a human being. Um, and in this passage, in this passage, it's actually linked with the messianic figure that would come and restore God's kingdom. These visions in Daniel, one of the reasons why many scholars see this, this particular chapter in Daniel as being so important is because this vision shapes the way that the Messiah is talked about in the New Testament. In Mark 14, 61 to 62, Jesus directly uses the imagery that we've just heard from Daniel to describe himself as the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Unsurprisingly, it leads um, the high priest to accuse him of blasphemy. It would be a little bit like me getting up and to preach and saying, hey, guys, I'm the Messiah. Um, at which point I would hope that you would uh, be calling mental health services. Um, and if that sounds shocking to you, um, it was no less shocking for people in Jesus's time for Jesus to make this claim, to, to talk about himself as the son of man. Jesus was clearly identifying himself as one who would bring God's kingdom to earth. So what is this kingdom of heaven like in Daniel's vision, this, this promised kingdom? Well, the glimpse that we get is a picture of peace between nations and common worship. And it's very closely aligned with the vision of the future kingdom, kingdom that we see in the book of Revelation, which also draws really strongly on this, this imagery in Daniel. Um, we find um, in, this, in the vision in Revelation, we again find a picture of the multitude of nations worshipping together. Where there is peace, justice, healing, and reconciliation. And these things flow into this diverse community worshipping together. And communal worship is actually at the center of this vision of the coming kingdom of God. Um, now, as someone who, you know, as, as those of you who are a part of our community know, um, I'm a part of our worship team and a worship leader as well as on our pastoral staff. Um, and so this idea that worship is such a huge part of, of this vision of the, of the kingdom of God is, is really interesting to me. Um, a few years ago, um, I read this really excellent book called The Next Worship um, by Sandra Von Upstel. And she explores uh, how our worship might embody this vision of common worship that we find in Revelation. That is the diverse nations of people worshiping together. And um, she talks about worship um, in, in our churches and this challenge of moving towards this vision of worship as being like having a really awkward dinner party. I really love this metaphor. Worship is an awkward dinner party. A party where some of the food is maybe a bit strange and unfamiliar. And we're not really sure if we want to put it in our mouths. We're not sure about it. It's a bit weird. Um, where the people, uh, maybe people we don't know and we're not sure about them, that we, where we feel um, not quite at home to be ourselves around them. We're not sure how to connect. Um, the temptation when we're in a situation like that is to leave as soon as possible for the comfort of the familiar. Uh, but worship that models biblical justice and this picture of 
the diverse nations worshipping together um, has got a sheer power in ways that allow a variety of cultural gifts and narratives, not simply to come together around the table, but to actually shape the table around which we gather, to shape the food we eat, to shape the conversation that we share, the songs we sing. Um, if we, and the other stuff that we do when we gather, if we want to embody what we see in these really vivid pictures of the kingdom of God and the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, um, things have got to get uncomfortable for us to get there. Creating spaces in our world where the values of the kingdom can find will cost us, whether it's in our worship spaces, at our work, our home, our finances, whatever, if we're wanting to live in tune with God's heartbeat, that means making space for others in ways that are going to make us feel uncomfortable and maybe even unhappy, at least in the short term. But by leaning into that discomfort, we find something even better. We'll find joy, peace, healing, wholeness, and not just for us, but for everyone. I I came across this really great quote about personal growth very recently, um, which says this, um, personal growth is, well, personal growth as a term, is misleading because it sounds like it's going to be fun. But if we called it deliberately making yourself so uncomfortable, it'll feel like dying. Nobody would do it and we'd all be totally screwed. Um, that was from um, someone on Instagram, Emily McDowell, at Emily on Life, if you are interested. Um, now, <laughs> I love this because I, I, I think that um, real genuine growth, actually, we really do have to get uncomfortable. Um, Jesus was pretty honest about the cost of living by the values of the kingdom. And his verdict was, it's going to cost you everything. Um, living as the people of God, committed to the kingdom's values, is summed up by Jesus as loving God and loving neighbor as we love ourselves. And in the Old Testament, the prophet Micah sums it up as acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament describes the values of the kingdom of God as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, and gentleness. These are just a few examples of the consistent picture in scripture. The kingdom of God is not ruled by force, but by love, where every human being is valued as an image bearer, holy, precious, and loved. God's promise to Daniel and God's promise to us is you will get through this. God's kingdom will endure. But if we want to live like this, if we want to live to these values, it's going to cost us. So I want us to take a moment just to um, have a little bit of a time of um, reflection for a few minutes. Um, just to consider what does living into the kingdom's values for you look like right now? What, are, what is it, it going to cost you to get there? 
So I'm going to give you um, a minute or so just to, just to um, yeah, just to ruminate, think on those questions. What is it living in the kingdoms, into the kingdom's values look like for you? And what will it cost you to get there? I'm going to, um, we're going to actually move into as a response, um, both to um, message tonight, but also um, just responding to our, our current reality. We're going to spend some time in intercession. Um, so um, a few of us are going to, uh, are going to lead us in that, but I'm going to begin by um, passing over to um, our lead pastor, Reverend Brett Jones. Um, and he's going to begin um, and leading us through that time of intercession. Thanks, Melissa. Um, so uh, let's pray together. Um, as we pray uh, for this first topic today, uh, we pray with the whole Wesleyan Methodist movement who are praying uh, along these lines for around the um, horrific circumstances of the supermarket attack uh, on Friday. So let's pray together. Lord God, we come to you uh, in this season where uh, we see uh, the kingdom not coming in these events. And we long for you to restore the dream of the kingdom uh, in the lives of all connected to these events. And so God, we pray uh, for the victims of this attack, who are now receiving medical treatment for serious injuries. We pray also for the medical staff offering care. God, we pray for um, those who witnessed the attack and first responders who will bear the psychological uh, impact of such a horrific event. We pray for police, police officers who have had to take a life in the defence of others. We pray for those, including the government and community leaders who will work for healing, peace, and justice in the future. We pray for the Muslim community 
and wider immigrant communities where they are experiencing a heightened vulnerability and fear. Give us boldness to speak up where we see injustice and intolerance expressed in our communities. We pray for our nation as we seek to speak love and justice into these times of tragedy. We pray that we might become people who are not overcome by evil, but instead who overcome evil with good. God, we ask that you would continue to work out your plan, that the dream of the kingdom would come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We remember our world, Lord, right now, which is um, amidst a global, global pandemic, a world that has experienced much pain and death and suffering as a result of COVID-19. May we remember to come to you daily in prayer each day to lift that world to you, to lift our nation to you, our local community, our families. We pray for all of those who are currently directly affected by COVID-19. We pray for those who are sick. We ask that they would be healed and made whole and well. We pray for those who have lost loved ones and that they would be comforted in their grief. We pray for those who are struggling right now with separation from their whānau and family and friends through difficult circumstances which might be completely unrelated to COVID, but they are affected due to lockdown regulations. We ask, Father God, for your presence, for your peace and your comfort. And we lift up the COVID-19 situation currently in New Zealand with the lockdowns we are experiencing. We lift up those who are overwhelmed, anxious and fearful, confused possibly by conflicting information. We pray Holy Spirit that you would bring peace and comfort. Help us to remember to be kind to one another, remembering always to love others as we love ourselves. We pray for the conflict in Afghanistan. For those who are fearful for, them, for their safety and for the safety of those they love, we pray for peace. For those who are grieving the loss of friends and family, the loss of freedoms and security, we pray for comfort. We pray for a peaceful resolution, for reconciliation and the restoration of freedom. We pray for those who've been affected by Hurricane Ida 
in the US. For those who have lost their homes, we pray for safe shelter and provision. For those who have been injured, we pray for healing and recovery. For those who have lost loved ones, we pray for comfort. Lord, hear our prayers. I want to um, invite you now um, 